Hello and welcome to the Baby Giants Investing Podcast. Join us as we chat about the weird and wild world of small cap investing, all while searching for the precious few fast-growing businesses that have a shot at becoming industry giants. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is strictly not intended as financial advice. Any opinions of general nature and do not take into account your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Securities mentioned are for illustration purposes only and this podcast should not influence investment decisions. You should read the relevant PDS and consider speaking to a financial advisor before making investment decisions. Past performance is no indicator of future returns. Podcast guests and their clients may hold positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. All right, we're live. We're coming from the heat of earnings season. Some of us may be sleep deprived, and uh, yeah, we've got a we've got a lot 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 going on. We'll keep this one fairly brief because I think we're running into other meetings and everything today. Yeah, gents, maybe we should start off. I'll start off with some good news that I think we chatted about midweek. You guys might have some as well. I think OpenAI's Sora model, I think, was pretty wild in terms of like yeah. human progress development. So if you haven't seen it yet, well, you can't really play with it yet, I think, right? It's just a just a demo at the moment. I don't think they've they've got it available for anyone. But basically just using simple text prompts, generating an actual video up to a minute long. Some of them look incredible. Yeah, there's a lot of demos. You can go to the OpenAI website to see it. They are just wild stuff in terms of like the quality and kind of things that a lot of people had thought would be happening in like a year or two years from now happening already can still make a lot of errors it doesn't it doesn't understand physics properly so they open air also showed all the times where it doesn't work where it like i think respawns like multiple dogs in the same place or something but overall i think directly like incredible quick progress for something yeah mind-blowing that had been seemed years away again it was only a year or so ago we started this stuff even just really came to the public uh, consciousness i will say the best thing about it has been the very strong meme game around Sora. I know you're off uh, Twitter slash X at the moment, Matt, but there's been a lot of stuff where people just like captioning like real footage, like of Zuckerberg, sort of like a post-game sort of high five triumph. And so just looking really awkward and, and people just coming up with really like funny prompts. Wait, so they're creating it with Sora or they're just pretending that- No, that no, they've just put the clip right. there and then, <laughs> and then like, you know, like awkward tech geek, get, you know, or sort of like in, intern tries to make uh, himself useful or, you know, various various different prompts that just fit the image so well. It's oh, that's very great. good. Yeah, I miss, miss, those, miss those memes. Yeah, what was the other thing? Uh, there's also been a lot of progress from Google's Gemini. They've now opened up, I think it's a million character context window. So the context window when you're talking to chat GPT or any of the LL large language models is kind of like how much, it's kind of like the stored memory, kind of like the RAM memory of what they're thinking about. So if you feed it a lot of stuff, if it gets too big, then by the end, further down the conversation, it's kind of forgot what it was talking about at the start. So if you're trying to code like a huge project or if you're trying to like analyze a big corpus of data, that was quite limited. And now Google is basically coming out saying like blowing the, doors off the the limits of it saying that their gemini will have um, a million limit and is going to be even bigger and that can fit there's one academic has reading where it's everything he's ever published is being fed in he fed it in and then said like tell me the themes like tell me some of the key ideas from this stuff that would have taken if you'd hired a researcher like you know days or weeks being done in a minute basically with gemini so yeah but can i just say quietly you know idea of losing the thread of your thought and conversation is not it's not an ai thing (laughs) (laughs) i I can attest to exactly that same problem (laughs) (laughs) live example Anyway, what was my point? Yeah. <laughs> what are uh, any other good news that you guys have seen around the traps? Not that I that comes to mind. I definitely was was following the Sora stuff very closely as well. That is that is super exciting. I'm just I'm continually blown away at the pace of things. Yeah. I mean, things things in terms of the public consciousness like 
things don't – it's unable for things to be held there for long and they sort of, they sort of you know, go – unless you're like intentionally trying to follow certain themes, they sort of slide off the agenda. But then if you ever sort of look back again, even like months later, it's like, wow, that's a lot. You guys have been busy. A lot's been happening. I saw some um, good news. Japan's trying to weigh in and and get and garnish a bit more support uh, for Ukraine. Obviously, uh, with what's happening in America right now, Ukraine's in a, in a really difficult situation with uh, Russia pushing forward. So, yeah, I guess you know to find the silver lining there, it's good to see like other countries that have rule of war, rule of law, stepping up to try and I guess like defend the forces of of an international rules based order. I think you know. We're very lucky that we've grown up in an era that was largely dominated by an international rules-based order. It's good for commerce, good for freedom, good for civil liberties, but of course, very delicate because those regimes that don't care about all those things, uh, you know, they, they can be stronger and they can do crazier things. They can brainwash populations. They don't have freedom of press. So... Yeah, like I think that when the good guys at least keep trying, that, that gives me hope. So so to frame that in a positive way, I thought um, Japan's actions in the last couple of weeks were a positive. Yeah, nice. There's some defense news from Australia too, redoing the, the fleet or changing the fleet to have some more drone ships, some more missile-based. It seems like, a, seems like a smart move in that way. But anyway. Seems like a smart move. I'll, I'll push back on that just a little. I think a lot of the things are, are smart in intention and direction for for very sound reasons i i always maybe just as i get older i get more cynical in terms of the execution of those plans and the profligate waste that comes with it which is you know another thing but yes i take your point excellent well let's get on to some well what else are we seeing in the news i guess uh what are some companies stealth was one that we'd had some questions about actually andrew and one that you'd covered before had a kind of a weird one where it got a, a wrap across the knuckles for it seemed to be disclosing pre-audit financials in a in a meeting or in like an investor briefing that wasn't disclosed to market. I don't know if yeah. you had a look at that one. It's- I sure did. So disclosure, it's my biggest position. Had it for a while. Done really well, actually. But I was it, it, it was a little bit nervous in light of what we discussed last week with Ava's IR. Uh, screw ABA up. risk group. Yeah. yeah, it's like this is this is not how you release and handle and manage good news. Um, and we saw what sort of happened there. So then that's another a big holding of mine. And then and then Stealth comes out and they have a presentation to Share Cafe the day before they release. I don't know if the results were already scheduled to come out the next day or if maybe they brought them forward. But either way, it's like, what were you thinking? What were you? What were you? Th- like, usually, companies were just like, look, we know we not going to say anything, but we just don't want to be in that situation. So they hold, hold an investor presentation, but it wasn't just like general nervousness around maybe we should just say nothing, which would have been the smart, but they released, as you say, the pre-audit financial performance for the first half. Shares went very well after that. You know, there's a, there's a small base, but you know, nevertheless, a near 50% increase in, in net profit, you know, 7.8% increase in revenue is what, what us shareholders wanted to sort of see, but it was sort of like, wait, this wasn't even marked market sensitive. The, the bizarre, yeah, well, the bizarre thing is, right, is this was a 50% uplift in earnings per share. I, mm-hmm. I just wanted to Chuck that in there. You can keep telling the story, Andrew. But everyone just hold in your mind how obviously significant it is that a low PE stock might get a 50% increase in earnings. Like if you're on a low PE ratio, which they were. That's why the, that's why the smart money, Claude, was was in there early. But anyway, you've got to celebrate the victories to offset all the, uh, the myriad of other losses. Yeah. So then they released the results the next day. The ASX, here's the other thing. Like the ASX, I was expecting an immediate please explain from the ASX. Like, it's like- 
did we just get away with that? Did you guys just, did that just happen? And like, no one said boo. And then the ASICs did, it did issue one and I get the, the technical name. And they basically came out and said, well, look, we disclosed, you know, basically our guidance in November during the AGM, which basically, you know, any, any reasonable person could materially sort of, you know, work out what, what it was likely to be, which there's a grain of truth to that. There absolutely is. Although, and again, I'm a, I'm a fan, I'm a supporter here, but I would argue that pre-audit financial figures are a long way from guidance given uh, at, at an AGM. And, 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 and the, the more important point here is that you don't even need to get into the argument of whether it was or whether it wasn't material. It's clearly material, but you know, it's beside the point. A good, sensible IR policy would just be to A, don't hold an investor presentation the day before your results are going to be out. Like, don't do it. And if you are, don't don't release this kind of information. And then don't you know, don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining. Like, it clearly was a it was a blunder and a very obvious one. So, but you know, unlike Ava, the shares are doing really well. Because looking at it right now, twenty six cents, right? So it's sort of like it hasn't seemed to have had the reaction may have. So that looks like they got away with it. But just can you know, just any small cap CEOs, boards, investor relations people listening, you know, get it right, guys. You know, try a bit harder. Yeah, fair enough. Great result though. I'll say that. Claude, what, what, what's been catching your eye? Anything on the small cap land that you've been digging into? Well, I did want to chuck one in just to, just this morning. Ostco Healthcare enters a term sheet to acquire Amentco. So like just it, it's going to make another acquisition. So this is a little profitable micro cap that um, we have covered on A Rich Life in the past. I used to own it, but, you know, sold it just in time to make sure I didn't get any gains. <laughs> But no, it's, it's, it's been on like a bit of a, a turnaround journey the last, I'd say the turnaround journey has been the last five years, really. And I think it's just a really interesting case study because, well, I mean, I'm definitely, you know, I feel like the turnaround's been missed at this point, but I just really do note, you know, the, the things are pretty much quadrupled since the bottom. So it just goes to show that like these turnarounds do sometimes turn and, and when they do, the the returns can be pretty spectacular. So definitely a tough, lonely ride for the for the little uh the guy that's, you know, investing in a little micro cap turnaround. But you do get the payoff sometimes. I think this is a success success story. One that I almost prepared earlier but didn't quite. Huh. Uh, we talked about Osco I'm just searched it up. Episode eighty three of Baby Giants. Yeah, I, I probably believe. said it was bad. I bet. I bet I said. It was bad. Oh, I'm, well, we we <laughs> we reinvent the history that we want to believe, and my belief <laughs> is that we were actually pretty positive. I know it wasn't us. Oh, was like, good. yeah, they had, can't like, listen to the episode to check. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's go. Let's go with what we prefer to remember. Yeah, let's let's just make it up. Like, never mind that everyone can go and check what we said. <laughs> no, no. Well, I was. I remember I was on Osby's sort of uh, singing its praises, and I'll, I'll give a shout out to Winnie here, Luke Winchester. He 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 put this one on my radar a while ago and picked it. Picked the theme early, and I think you make an excellent point, Claude. Is that actually Ian Castle had a great article on? I retweeted it actually just the other day. So if anyone sees my thread, you'll you'll see it there. But this this idea of the edge you have with long term investing, but when it comes to small caps, knowing that. It's two years of nothing and then everything happens in a day kind of thing. So it is it is frustrating, but it is normal. And when the gains come, they can be pretty substantial. I mean, if something goes down even or sideways for two years and then and then doubles from your purchase price after three years, that's still a very great CAGR. Yeah. Well, to be fair to myself, I have had the wisdom to not actually publish my own thoughts on OSCO. But in fact, um, it's Benjamin Sayers who'd been covering it for us on A Rich Life. And and he hit the straps with an article called "Why Ostco Healthcare Looks Interesting." That was in April 2023, and 
you can just look at a chart to see how how well it's done since then. So, you know, thanks again, Ben. I think um, everybody's ready for you to take over as editor and I can just fall back to a, to writer, I think. Bloody Mary in hand and beach yeah, like, within your gaze yeah i'm tapping out guys uh, <laughs> some of the some of the other guys are better than me so <laughs> but, that, but that's what they say right like a good a good uh, manager seeks to replace themselves so you know i mean i've been trying as hard as i can we just get the, get the budget in place and we'll do it we're going to get better by having less of me <laughs> that's a strategy i should employ actually <laughs> <you> say it <laughs> All right, all right. No, so that's Osco. Congrats, congrats to the to the fundamental investors in that one. But the one that I thought we could talk about today is a one that I have gotten at least somewhat right. XRF Scientific, which I own shares in, also I think falls into that category of sort of little profitable micro cap. I wouldn't say it's a turnaround though. I think it's probably had more of just like a really clear. But you know, they they had a, a period of consolidation five ten years ago, but I think that they've had a really strong run recently and i guess the big question is is that running out of steam so if we just take a look at the uh, most recent results that came out we see that the the q2 net profit before tax because they do give us the quarterly and net profit before tax well that was a record result now we were expecting a record result to be fair because they generally have a strong december quarter but i thought that you know this was a good strong record result and we did need to see that after having a largely flat year so now the big question will be whether they can keep keep it flat after after bringing up the quarterly profit? Uh, can they at least, you know, maintain it at this run rate for the rest of the year? I think it'll be a bit of an ask as they get bigger. And, you know, I do fear that I could have got to this story a little bit, you know, we could be, this story could be getting a little bit long in the tooth. But the underlying demand drivers still seem to be there. So do you want to butt in and, and, and explain what they do actually, Andrew? Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to. I mean, they, they're they one of the top ranked stocks on Strawman. So I, I know, well, I, but they, they basically do... Uh, Test sample testing for for mines, uh, or more more correctly, they sell the equipment that enables that to be done. So it's a nice little sort of pick and shovel kind of business for that industry. Uh, they've got a long history. They pay a dividend. They're profitable. They've got they've had good growth. Vance, uh, the CEO, is a really good operator. Yeah, I think that's the short version. Basically, the, you know, the news is that. And I guess the longer term story is because their testing is involved with elemental analysis of iron ore, base metals, rare earths, mineral sands, cement, steel, and then also they, they do minerals and, and all sorts of different things. You know, the idea is that they could potentially get diversified beyond mining. Right now, it's mining really driving growth. And I think that the sort of the, the new mines and the new types of battery minerals and all that kind of stuff, you know, that is helping them um, as, as that becomes a bigger part of the, the commodities pie. But overall, you know, essentially this, the probably the concern would, in this result would be that the revenue growth was, was pretty low. Now, that would have been somewhat hampered by the fact that the cost of their consumables go, has gone down because their, their input costs have gone down and they pass that on to their customers whilst maintaining the same margin. So lithium is a huge input. As that has gone down, the price of their products, go, their flux goes down, which is the consumable used in the um, analysis. And But the, the, the profit margins stay the same. So they actually managed to get, um, you know, versus the prior corresponding period, NPAT up 20% on revenue up just 6%. So your guess is as good as mine how long that kind of situation can persist. But, you know, generally speaking, it's a bit rare to see that. But having said that, you know, I think I've just touched on like that consumable side of the business has been, you know, that's had a clear run of growth for one, two, three, 
seven halves now. So so that's pretty impressive. The uh, the more sort of one-off, less recurring in nature segments are the precious major me- metal segments. So like uh, platinum crucibles and stuff like that and the capital equipment, like the various different machines, they, they can be much more variable. Now the capital equipment, they both were down slightly on the immediately preceding half and the capital equipment one, they said that uh, there was 1.1 million of Orbis mining revenue delayed, which means that they're expecting to have a strong half in the second half. And on top of that, they say, quote, I pulled it out, basically that, I've lost the quote, sorry, mate, but basically, oh yeah, they said the order book is at record levels with production for some products booked out past to a uh, second half 2024, despite production capacity increasing. So um, that means I'm hoping that we're going to have a stronger second half. And look, if if this gets a stronger second half, I think we're laughing. Uh, They did 3.3 earnings per share in the first half. 3.3 3.3 cents. Look, if we just said they just kept it flat, that would be 6.6 cents for the full year. The share price is about $1.14. So that works out at a FY 2024 uh, PE ratio of around 17.3. So yeah, that's why I, I own it. Even after these results, owned it before these results, but we'll definitely continue to stay on this this story. Did they mention uh, it looks like the industrial kind of demand in Europe might have been a bit weaker for the, particularly for precious metals? Is that kind of just reflecting like a, a slowdown or recession type stuff in Europe? It may well be, Matt. I don't know. Uh, they didn't, they, so they didn't do an earnings call, which, which uh, always yeah. kind of, okay, cool. which mm-hmm. kind of always irks me. So I didn't get to ask any of those kind of questions, but at the same time, the CEO has always been super responsive when I have emailed him. So that I'm sure that we could follow up and, and find answers to those questions in due course. So, but yeah, it was Germany, like the German office in there, the precious metals, it, it struggled and they did. And actually maybe you've highlighted risk there. Cause if that's good, that if that's more, my macro related the company's expectation is that's going to be that's going to stabilize and, and bounce back right but if it's actually more macro related and, and it's more of a trend thing then what we might see is that the, the actual results are going to come in below what the company itself thinks and then for operating leverage businesses when demand comes in below expectations you do tend to take a hit to profit because the companies inevitably hasn't covered in that case haven't cut costs so margins fall so i think that's a bit of a risk and, and i think that's probably the argument that i'd be thinking about whether whether i would you know reduce my view of the business but but right now i think that it's steady as she goes yeah i just i've just been kind of thinking in europe there's another company that i was looking at or tracking results of in new zealand called scalar up i don't own it but it was tra- looking at that one and that had had weakness in kind of industrial production and agricultural production and in Europe was kind of a factor. And I guess it's just kind of reminding that we think a lot about the US for economic growth, where they've been still incredibly stimulative. Yeah, just reminding that like Japan's in a recession, it's just had its second quarter of negative GDP. I think the UK's in recession. Germany's Bundesbank has said that that's likely in recession right now. So I just think it's yeah, something to keep in mind that there's like quite a mixed global economy at the moment where you've got the US still powering like surprisingly strong. I think probably because they've had so much fiscal stimulus, big driver of that. And then um, you've kind of got a lot of the rest of the world that is actually looking pretty weak as they adapt to well, a lot of different things, war in Europe and higher interest rates kind of flowing through. And a higher number of people out of the workforce for various reasons as well. I don't know if you've been following those news, but as in a lot of places in Europe, the number of people working has gone down as a result of, I guess, people bringing forward retirement who were maybe already at retirement age, but also, um, yeah, like people were coming too sick to work as well. Yeah, that's interesting, Claude, because I think in the US, it had bounced back a bit from how bad it was in, say, late 2021. So was the data like in Europe, it hasn't, it's still just really far down. 
Yeah, so Europe isn't having the same levels of immigration as the US or indeed Australia, I think, as I understand it. So as a result of that, you know, you actually have a bit of a a shrinking workforce there and often in a way that is problematic in terms of inflation because it's usually, it's not, you know, it's not that they don't have enough Uber drivers. It's that, you know, nurses and teachers, very similar as we are going to be seeing here and are already seeing here. Like this is, there is a fundamental issue here in terms of if people think that inflation's going away. And I know I was so tongue in cheek when we were talking macro yesterday, but that's just because it's hard to call macro. But I just still think that there are definitely a lot of signs that inflation could be stickier than people think. And one of that is the fact that I think it doesn't matter what your overall unemployment or employment rate is if there is certain jobs that are really essential that you can't fill and that if, if that's the case you're going to start put, pushing up pushing up the prices for things essentially because that's the only way the market can really react so yeah i agree we've talked about it before but we have this kind of generation of people going to unis instead of doing skilled jobs <laughs> not that all uni jobs aren't skilled but kind of the like kind of the the, the white collar uni jobs that um you're not learning a specific thing versus yeah tradies and you know nurses doctors and all these different things and i guess i think a lot of those are aging out and uh, that's kind of what we're seeing at the moment and then the other thing is like which i'm definitely more mindful of living in canberra is that you have like a class of people who are like very drastically overpaid based on like the new the new world we're in you know like 20 years like service in the public service and and climbing the power structures there gets you a very very comfortable job indeed but but there's no shortage of those people and and everyone wants a job with like flex time and and work from home sometimes when it's practical and you know no like basically you know job security can't get fired even if you're incompetent kind of thing like so that you have even just other office jobs essentially i think if we're going to see this shift where those jobs need to get paid less than somebody who builds houses or does the plumbing or like is going to come and fix your electricity after a storm or whatever it is and i mean let alone even just driving buses and trains and all of that kind of stuff as well i think that those people all need to get paid more relative to the people who are like climb some hierarchy for 10 years like pushing paper and doing like marketing on a management or whatever like or a financial analysis like i very much fall into this category like those people probably need to get paid less relative to the people that are like keeping things ticking over essentially yeah and it would be relatively right so to just probably have less yeah so that means inflation right it does mean inflation because no one's getting a pay cut it just means that the salaries of the of the you know, of the train driver or the boat pilot or whatever goes up, you know, who's learning to how, you know, I've got one, I guess, you know, longtime subscriber, I dare say even friend, but, you know, I think he's like one of the expert pilots who takes in huge ocean liners to the port and stuff like that. Oh, he comes on the boat. Yeah. No, I think he's the the pilot who like actually comes in and tells them exactly where to go. Like, and it's like a highly skilled profession, but, you know, I think I know he mentioned to me at one, at one point, you know, they're not getting a new generation of people coming up that they need. Yeah, it's like that across hundreds of professions, basically, where there's just even, there's the skills just aren't being passed on because they're like, it's a job you need to learn on, you know, hands-on. And they're just, because there's not that younger generation, they just haven't passed on the skills in a lot of these domains. You were smirking, Andrew? Do you have some thoughts on us? I've got He's thoughts. It's like, I mean, oh, we are the useless class. The market, the market will clear, right? At, at a at a certain price, you, you get any job filled at a certain price. I'll, I'll be out there cleaning any whole, any public toilet around for for the right amount of money, and everyone has the right amount of money. I'm trying to think of the Winston Churchill 
quote, you know, every, everyone's got their price. But yeah, you kind of need to see that. Every, everybody wants that lollipop lady job, I swear to God. Like every six <laughs> months it's in the news. How much do you get paid for holding the stop and go sign? I'm like, yeah, but how do you get that job? How do you get it? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, politicking. You're an expert. You're an expert of like influence if you get that job. Just stand there listening to your iPod all day. Well, like 120K. I, I just think there's a bit of a lag a, a impact at play here where you've had prices run very ahead very strongly. I think it's like 15, 18% above where they were on just on the CPI level over the last three years. I saw actually figures out today saying that average wage growth was 4.2% over the last 12 months, outpacing inflation. Hey, you know, great news. It's kind of prices have gone up, but you're all being paid more, so it doesn't matter. Yellen made the comment, exact comment in the US a couple of nights ago as well. But you know, these prices haven't been lockstep in movement with the broader price of things. And I think people will be able, and given a very tight labor market, I think people will demand and will get higher wages. And that's going to be passed on wherever possible. It's going to be higher prices. Like it's just, you know, it, it's it's sort of like a, an inevitability to, to some degree. So yeah, I expect it. I, 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 like, I, think, I think what we do is we look at this one figure, which is a very blunt figure, and we, within that, we sort of have narratives around, well, there was a supply shock and there was also, you know, wage push inflation, all this stuff. And it's kind of like, well, there's a, it's actually a little bit of all of that stuff. And I think when we got to the really crazy numbers, that was sort of everything happening at once in tandem, but most specifically the supply side of things. That's turned, right? And that's come there. And now everyone's going, hey, look, inflation's over. We, we beat it, which from the supply side of things was always going to come down anyway, because that's what, that's what markets do. But I don't know if we're getting back to a world anytime soon where it's sort of like anywhere near 2%, given that the latency that's in there with, with some of the wage impulses. So, yeah, my, my, my version is is that it'll be a higher for longer. Certainly we're past the peak, but, but higher for longer. Yeah, it'd be interesting one to see unfold. I guess related to some of the cost of living pressures was some news with Woolies, which is down 9% as we record this. On it's huge for Woolworths. I, I can never remember that big a fall. I mean, I haven't, I'm sure there's a handful of times in its entire history, but that is a monster move. And the CEO stepped down. You guys, was there an interview you're, you're chatting about? Before? Yeah, yeah. So this is gold. Everyone would have seen it by now, but the CEO, the former CEO, retired CEO, I should say, was being interviewed by, you know, the ABC. And the you know the ABC guy's just giving him a little bit of a pushback on his claims that the competition's really great. And as a prepared interviewer, the interviewer quotes and a genuine authority and says, former ACCC commissioner Rod Sims said, you know, quote here about how the competition is like very poor in Australia versus other countries. And the CEO of Woolworths, the retired CEO of Woolworths is like, oh, you know, that's wrong. I disagree with that or whatever. And then the interviewer comes back at him trying to finish this quote or whatever. And he goes, retired, retired, by the way. Like, and the look on his face is just gold. You're like, he thinks in that exact moment that he's just scored like an absolute winner, like by calling Rod Sims retired. Like, and the, and the interviewer's like, you know, surely you're not like imputing, you know, Rod Sims because he retired 18 months ago. And then the, then the, the Woolworths is, CEO is kind of sitting there being like, and you can just see the, the cogs turning. He's like, oh, yeah, no, that wasn't actually the, the, the win that I thought it was. And then he goes, oh, yeah, no, no. Yeah, I shouldn't have said that. Can, can we take that out? <laughs> <laughs> and then the and then this interviewer is like, well, no, like you're on the record and you said it. And then he's like, oh, yeah, well, I think I've had enough of this or whatever. And then and gets up to walk away. 
uh, before his PR people like come over and obviously convince him to sit back down. And it was just absolutely gold because here's this guy getting paid seven million dollars plus every like a year, and he's there in the Woolworths checkout outfit like with the name tag brad as if he's like scanning the veggies and as if he's so down to earth and then the minute anyone like gives him tells him no essentially like he wanted them to cut out what he said and they were essentially like well well, no you said it and we're on the record and then he like wanted to get off and walk off and that just shows how this guy coped with somebody saying no to him. It, and as soon as I saw that, I tweeted about it, mocking it down. I was like, you know, surely for $7 million a year, you can get a CEO who can tolerate the process of having a conversation with someone who disagrees with them when it's clearly part of their job to go forth and make your argument why Woolworths has a massive network. It's a bigger capital investment. Therefore, we need to have higher profits to get the same return on investment. So it's not fair for you to compare our margins with those in Germany or whatever. You know, that's the rational argument you want to make. Instead, this guy's just like tried to make the hit that some guy, other guy's retired, then he wants that cut out and then he storms off and then comes back. Like absolutely not unsurprising he's since resigned. I think I surely you can get better than that for, for $7 million. I think it was in the works anyway, apparently, because the search for a CEO has been underway. I, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows what's gone behind closed doors? But it was a it was a it was a disaster of a of an interview. I don't know if I buy that argument, by the way, because I so I had a look this morning. I, I haven't looked at Woolies in, in forever, but so overall their group margins shrunk. Uh, EBIT was uh, up three point three percent on a four and a half percent lift in sales. My position's nuanced, by the way. I'm not actually saying I think it makes sense to have this witch hunt against Woolworths. I don't. I just think that you know the the behaviour of someone who like cannot hide their disgust at being told no is very very amusing. Actually, as a more general point, I totally agree because I I. I I've encountered CEOs before who feel, you know, that no, we, we don't want to talk about this or that. And I just feel like, well, it's your prerogative, but do you, do you need me to like sort of be a bouncer for that? Like wh- why can't you just as a someone who's highly paid and, and, and hopefully highly competent just say I'd prefer not to answer that question? Anyway, so so here's the thing though. When you when you look below the surface, the Big W and uh, Woolies New Zealand had a pretty pretty terrible half, but they only account for 18% of sales. When you look at the Australian food segment, which is 72% of, of total sales, we saw a 1% lift in the gross margin. So it was nearly a 4% higher than it was a year ago. Now, again, I don't know if gouging is the right word here, but they're definitely flexing some pricing power. And as I said on Strawman, I guess that's one of the key planks to the bull case. Right? Like I, I, want a, I want a business that's able to do that. Moral objections aside, the ability that they have to do that is is noteworthy, but it is hard to, for them to turn around and say, "No, we haven't been." I, I'll, I'm interested in you elaborating a bit on on the, just even if it's a straw man argument, but the, the, the his rational defense of it, as you put it, because I, I look at it. I actually did a bit of googling and found a McKinsey report from 2022 that looked at average U.S. supermarkets. They have EBIT margins of four percent versus Woolies and Coles at around six percent. I don't get the geographic argument. I don't I, like at the end of the day, it says like whatever your margin is is whatever your margin is. You are you are profitable and viable at a one percent EBITDA margin. I'm not saying you should go for that. I'm not saying that's that's a reasonable mm. one, but to say that we need to be more profitable, I don't I don't get. And I just think call it for what it is. You've got incredible pricing power. Well done to you, but you increase your pro- your gross margins in supermarket by a percent over this period with rec- you know massive inflation, et cetera, et cetera, and you're a good two thirds above what 
what similar businesses do in in the US. So it's hard to it's hard to sort of say that they're not enjoying some some market power there. But and very quickly, my my remedy for it is is don't regulate. Do not regulate because the the trouble is is you have this really ironic situation where the regulation all it does is entrench the incumbency power because there's now there's a massive regulatory moat that they have the resourcing to sort of jump through all the hurdles on and everyone else finds it incredibly difficult to get into so i would say do whatever you can to foster competition that's that's usually the answer to high prices yeah just let aldi help aldi do delivery (laughs) yeah basically yeah totally why don't governments more often just be like i'll make a sub a sub economic like investment like what about if you just said oh you know hey hey hey, that's my tax money we'll we'll like lend you we'll lend you money to expand in australia at a slightly reduced rate like that would be a fun way to 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 yeah i'd I'd be i'd be nervous of the pendulum going in that direction too to be honest (laughs) sure it It could easily be super corrupt as well like that that's the problem i encourage that kind of just poor poor allocation of capital and corruption is is it's like my in australia before long it'd be like your like mate's company that he just started yesterday getting a loan to buy a coal mine or something so give me the give me the argument why why how would uh, how would woolies argue that they need to have a six percent ebit margin when comparables in in similar markets have far lower genuine question by the way i'm not making that argument so much i would basically say you know if i were trying to make that argument for woolworths i'd say oh you know these are just our margins now it's a cycle we've had a good we've had a good run you know it's going to go back down can't you see even in the last results it went down like you've just you're cherry picking our best result ever kind of thing is what i would say but yeah like and what are they, they have a write down, right? Like that, don't they? Like you, they can be like, oh, you're just using the like, you know, you're ignoring that we lost all this money on things. You know, this is the nature of business. We lose money here. We make money there. Like yeah, I'd sort of try and spin it like that rather yeah. than just like walking off, having a tanty and walking yeah. off. Here's yeah. the other thing that was super interesting because these results and presentation materials all released today, obviously after the Four Corners interview, after the PR storm, all of that kind of stuff. I did a PDF just you know control f on the on the presentation and it's a 48 page presentation the word margin appears five times in in a in a results deck for Woolworths. and and like i don't know i i feel as though they have done everything that they can to get away from any kind of overt mention of of expanding margins, gross margins, especially within the food segment. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I guess uh, it's it's like the it's companies that complain or don't mention anti-competitive or, you know, Google talks about how big its market is, right? That's kind of like the thing it doesn't say, right? Like, so yep. just not mentioning margins probably shows that it's quite a nice, cozy <laughs> market. Absolutely. <laughs> But also, Absolutely. any any interest in Woolworths now after after the, a nine percent fall? I, I kind of in two. On, on one hand, I look at this. I think Woolies is one of again, sort of ethics aside, it's one of the highest quality businesses out there in terms of its for its defensive characteristics. I've got extraordinary confidence so out of all the companies on the ASX. If I had to put a gun to my head, you've got to pick something that you know is going to be around in 10 years' time and more or less at kind of the same kind of economics. Woolies would probably be one of the ones right at the top of the list, right? But it is an extraordinarily sure business and it's trading at a P of, well, I don't know what today is, but, but yet prior to today, it was trading at a P of 20. So I kind of look at that and go, how does that possibly make any sense? On the other hand, I think, well, let's see, there's a 2.8% yield or so that's gone up a little bit. Add some franken credits in. You're not a mile away from what you might get at a term deposit. So if you're someone who sort of like the yield, if you're someone who thinks that interest rates are going down, if you love the defensive 
characteristics of this investment on the ASX as part of your portfolio, I think you can make an argument for it, especially if you're if the North Star for you is I, I want to protect my wealth. I will happily if in ten years hence I get a total shareholder average return per year of seven and a half percent. That's not a disaster in very tumultuous, uncertain times. Uh, but if you're gonna if you're if you're someone who likes ten percent or more, then no, I wouldn't I wouldn't go near. The uh, grossed up yield is about four point five percent, so that's like more or less in line with the interest rates at the moment. So yep. I don't know, yep. I, not not a screaming opportunity. Okay, moving on. What what else do we want to discuss? I've got to run in like five minutes, so yeah, maybe we, maybe we do some gratitude. Let's do gratitude. What do you guys got? What are you What are you grateful for, Andrew? You've had a. Uh, I'm great. I'm grateful for the the Bitcoin pump. I'll say that much. No, you can't. You that's the same week. as last week. No, but I thought I was. I thought I was grateful for some something about real estate agents. That's the only positive thing you've had in the yeah. last four weeks. Mate, I got to tell you, it's yeah. been a crappy couple of weeks. So still got eyesight. How are your legs? Can you walk around? Yeah, but not fast enough, Matt. That's the problem. <laughs> You know what I mean? There's always a, I'm a glass half empty kind empty. of guy. Yeah, yeah. You're going to have like a quarter, yeah. <laughs> three quarters empty. And the glass is dirty as well, right? Like what, what's what's with that? I've got one that just popped into my head. I'm grateful now that from our new house that we're moving to, I have like a good friend that lives four doors down and our kids are similar age and everything on the same street. Like, oh, that's cool. That's a really nice coincidence. So I'm grateful for that little bit of luck. Nice one. Yeah, that's cool, man. Grateful get to do what I love investing. I like that the wildness of earnings season and it's uh, in full swing at the moment. So I'll chuck that one in. Matt's cool. like thriving. He's like, you know, prepared, <laughs> pampered, ready to rock. I'm like drowning. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Andrew, think of something positive for next week. Maybe we'll ramp it there. In the meantime, right. hit us up on Twitter at Baby Giants Pod. And until next time, thanks for listening. Right. Thanks for listening, everyone.